If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I would really encourage you to have one, either on your phone or a tablet or a Luddite version, you know, the printed versions, those are awesome too. And we have some on the back table there. If you don't have a Bible with you or even own a Bible, you could grab one and you could take it home with you. You're welcome to do that. Uh, open your Bibles to near the back of the New Testament, 1 John. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 5 in a bit, so put your finger there. But I also want to warn you in advance, we're going to be doing a lot of moving around Scripture today. Uh, but that's going, to, that's going to be our highlight is in 1 John and chapter 5. So that'll be cool. Um, actually, sorry, I, I got that wrong. 1 John chapter 1. Yeah, so the beginning, 1 John. Uh, we'll be in verses 5 to 7. Uh, so today we begin, listen, this is a tradition. Every year, uh, I don't know how many years it is now, maybe six or seven, that we've been doing Advent series. Uh, I have to be honest with you, as, as your pastor, as a preacher, I, 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 I love them, but uh, they're, you know, it's a bit of a challenge every year to you know, pray about doing an Advent series that you haven't heard before, right? Like, you know, you read the passages in Luke or whatever they may be, the coming of Jesus and, uh, you know, making it fresh, or we could have a really fun time and just go through the genealogy in Matthew for four weeks. That'd be fun, wouldn't it? Yeah, no, uh, we actually tried that one year. It went okay. So, and, and this year I was actually thinking of, you know, because of what's been going on in our church and in the world, I was thinking of something else. But the Lord, again, he's so gracious. He put uh, the light of the world uh, uh, on my heart. And I hope it's going to be helpful to you during this time. Um, so I have a question before we get into it a little bit. Anybody got the Christmas tree lights up yet? Christmas tree? Are you kidding me? Oh, you guys are awesome. I, th- I thought we were gonna, I was going to be shamed because we did it last night. That's amazing. That's really, really good. So our series is going to look this way. We're going to be this week looking at the title, The Light Is. That's it. The Light Is. Next week, we'll be looking at The Light Has Come. Third week, The Light Lives. And then in the last week, The Light Shines. So my great hope in these four weeks uh, that I have for us as a church and that I hope we will learn through what we're going to see uh, is that we will grasp um, more significantly a couple of sayings of Jesus during his ministry. He said two things during his life of ministry that are very, very remarkable. They're um, certainly related to his coming, to his advent, but also his going. And so it's interesting because he says this in John chapter 8, verse 12. He said, I am the light of the world. He's saying this to those who are following him, to his disciples, and, and, and they're going, some of them are going, he, you're what? I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Well, we who know Jesus or we've heard of Jesus, we like, yeah, you're Jesus. You are the light of the world. We we believe that. We get that. But then imagine being some of the disciples in their 20s a few months later. And then he says this in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. You are the light of the world. Hello? Hello? A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, should not be hidden. So my great hope during this series is we're going we're gonna to come to understand those two, what sound like different statements or confusing statements maybe, a lot more differently. So let's pray before we start in our message today, The Light Is. Gracious Heavenly Father, uh, once again, I thank you for this day, for this time to gather together Yeah, Lord, and we we thank you for uh, things that are going on in our world and around us. But Lord, we also also pray, Lord, we we have uh, 
Uh, many, many people uh, who we love, friends and, and family who are sick. Lord, some people are struggling with COVID-19. So Lord, we pray for healing of extended family members who uh, may not live here, but live across Canada or in the United States who are struggling with this disease. Lord, would you heal them? Would you heal them? We pray also for little Sybil and Anna in hospital. Pray that you would continue to heal her lungs and bring them home safely tonight, hopefully, or tomorrow. Um, Lord, we pray for our sister Ingrid um, as she battles again and goes through chemo. Lord, would you heal our sister? We ask for a miracle there, Lord. And so, Lord, yeah, this is, this is the, these are the things that we entrust to you. Um, you are the light of the world, Jesus. Heavenly Father, you are light. And so we pray that you would shine your light on these prayers by answering them in the mighty way. Lord, I ask for your help today. In this message, Lord, uh, the subject is big. The subject is you. And so, Lord, I, I hope we all today hear from you, Holy Spirit, of how precious and amazing our God is. And I pray these things in the worthy name of Jesus. Amen. So uh, let's dive into our subject for today. Uh, God is light. Light is. And, I mean, again, I said to some people earlier this morning, I couldn't have scripted this any better. <laughs> like, it's dark out there, right? Like, it's, it's, compl- it's raining. It's, it's a good time of year, I guess, to, to talk about light since obviously we're not seeing so much of it, are we? It's, it's an interesting thing. I, I don't think it's biblically absolutely known to be accurate that Jesus came at Christmas December time, right? I mean, you do know there's another hemisphere so that the, where they live, it's actually summer. And in other places, it doesn't rain as much as it does here. But certainly in our part of the world, it gets dark. It's one of those things that I think for some of us anyway, you don't realize how much you miss the light, <laughs> the sunlight, until you just don't see it very often, right? And then you realize, yeah, you really miss it. I used to say to people, listen, Squamish is awesome. Don't worry about the rain. The, the reason why it rains here is because come and look around. It's green, you know? Hey? And, and on top of that, the, it's snowing at Whistler. And some people look at me and go, yeah, it's, I'm not buying it, right? It's still, it's, you just don't realize that. Uh, personally, I, I, I thought about this earlier this month. One of my least favorite days on the calendar, I don't know about you, but it's the first Sunday, usually in November, when uh, early on a Sunday morning, around 2 o'clock in the morning, the clocks fall back one hour. Okay, so listen. <clears throat> it's bad enough that it's getting dark on December, November 6th this year at, at 5.30 in the afternoon, and now you want me to be happy about it getting dark at 4.30? Like, I don't know. Like, I just like... It's, it's just, it's changed. And of course, it's supposed to be so that it's brighter in the morning. I'm not seeing that. Are you? I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm missing something. It's just really bizarre. And, and not only that, I, d- I did some checking. On December 13th, something to look forward to. It's actually going to start getting dark at 4.13. Pardon me. Yeah, 4.13. So that, that's, I mean, I don't know. So then uh, you know what these days look like, right? Here's how these days look. <clears throat> you get up in the morning and it's dark. Uh, you go to work, and then you come home, and it's, it's dark, right? You go to bed, and it's dark. And, and then even if you go to work in the Vancouver, where you go, you go into an office, and they have those, 
that lighting that's really not helpful when you're staring at a computer screen or whatever it is, right? And then you, oh, you need some fresh air and you go outside and it's semi-dark, right? And, and it's pouring, you know, like, and the, the rain's coming sideways into your umbrella. I don't know. Painting a really nasty picture here, aren't I? There's, there's a point, I hope. But I also think uh, most of you are aware, uh, and many of you maybe likely experience an effect of this uh, dramatic loss of light. I, I believe I do. Uh, it's called seasonal affective disorder, or SAD for short. That's how people feel, right? It, it's, a, it's a real deal. I mean, scientists have proven that what happens when we lose light, uh, the amount of light that we are used to and, quite frankly, most often need, uh, it affects our brains. And it's one of the major causes in our world of depression is seasonal affective disorder. Now listen, as bad as things are here, imagine this. You live at the south of the North Pole. <laughs> Four to five months a year. It's dark. Well, you can play golf in the summer, you know, at 1130 at night, but that that's hardly, hardly makes up for it. And, and again, statistics will show you that in that part of the world, those parts of the world, the north and south, depression's high. People suffer depression at very high rates. Most of you will also know, I found out about this because my wife's a nurse, that <clears throat> you can take supplements to help you, vitamin D, right, needed, what you get from sunlight. So if, if you're struggling, you know, it's getting to be 4.30 and you're going, <laughs> take some vitamin D. Actually, take it in the morning. It'd probably be more helpful. So the loss of light, listen, it doesn't also, when you think about it, I gotta, we got to go more deep into this, it doesn't just affect you and I, does it? I'm actually very thankful for this, but my grass stops growing. You notice that? Right? You don't have to mow it, which is really helpful. But by the same token, you know, your garden, it dies. And some of you are like, amen. The whole planet's affected by it, right? All of creation is affected by this loss of light. So when you look at all of creation, for that matter, you'll learn that most of the animal and plant kingdoms need light to survive and even more so that they might prosper. Sure, there, there are nocturnal animals. You know, some of you are thinking, oh, hang on a second, there are exceptions. Yeah, there are. But they wouldn't have anything to forage for at night if it wasn't growing during the day. Amen? Like, I mean, light is absolutely 100% required. Guess who came up with that idea? So then think about sleep as well. I was thinking about that. Imagine that God has designed us in such a way that we need sleep, first of all, but then we sleep when? When it's dark, right? And we sleep at night, right? And then we get up in the morning, and, and, and that's a really, really good thing. Now, some of you are also thinking of the exception, yeah, but some people, some people work graveyard shifts. And I'm like, yeah, but that's why they call them graveyard shifts, okay? It's dark. You were not made to work at night. And those of you who have had to work 12 hours as nurses, doctors, whatever it might be, you know that's a really hard time to work, and, and your circadian rhythm, etc., is all thrown off. So finally, let's consider this. How long do you think life on Earth would last if light completely left us? The sun goes out. It went dark permanently. How long do you think? Again, I did a little bit of research. Google's awesome. It doesn't answer everything, but it answers some things. Believe it or not, within seven days, it would take seven days for the Earth temperature across the globe to drop to zero. Fahrenheit. After one month, guess what? Minus 100. 
So yeah, some again are thinking, well, we got, we got fossil fuels. We, you know, we can heat our homes. We, we, we've got electricity. Uh-huh. Dependent on light. The fossil fuels are the breakdown of what? Plants? Yeah. Experts believe that uh, we, we probably wouldn't make it a year, let alone the fact that we'd go crazy, right? So listen, light, obviously, sunlight in this case, is clearly one of the most critical needs that we all have to both survive and prosper. It's the way God designed it. It's the way he planned it. But as I hope we will see and discover more in this series, there's another kind of light, right? Another kind of light that's even more crucial to your health, to our bodies, to our minds, to our hearts, and of course to our souls, without which we would be in another kind of darkness, which would result in another kind of death. We need this light. So our key text for today that I want to read for you first, before we unpack it, and then I will bring it up on screen later, but I'm just going to read it, is from 1 John chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, you can read along with me. John the Apostle, this is later in life, he's probably almost 90 years of age, and he's writing one of his last letters to the church, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And he says these words, he writes these words. This is the message that we heard from him, from Jesus. And we proclaim to you, God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So we're going to dive into this point uh, more next week when we look at John's gospel that he wrote about Jesus and Jesus being the light. Uh, but the Apostle John is a very unique theologian. He, he's, uh, when you read his writings, the gospel and his other writings, and 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, when you read his letters, you, you notice he's just got a different approach from the other guys who wrote the gospels in particular, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, when you read their gospels, you can see very clearly that what they write, the, the perspective is they, they write often about what God says in Jesus, primarily, and what he does, and again, as experienced by watching and seeing Jesus. John, on the other hand, focuses on this. He focuses on who God is, on his character, what he is like, and of course, again, what he is like in Jesus, how he's revealed in, in Jesus. So in his gospel, John tells us this. He tells us that God is spirit. And, and of course, he unpacks that and tells us that, you know, God doesn't have a physical body. You know, like God the Son, Jesus, of course, does. God the Holy Spirit does not. God in essence, is spirit. Well, then in his letters, and in this letter in particular, he tells us two more things that God is. Right here, which, which I just read, he tells us that God is light, which we'll unpack now. But he also tells us that God is one more thing. Anybody guess? God is what? Come on. Sunday school. Love, thank you. Yes which is the one that everybody wants to focus on. Of course we do. God is love. He is. 
So now the question has to be, first of all, what, what's John getting at? What, what is John getting at? How does John see this? What, what made John think this? And, and how does he unpack it? Where, where does he, what does he mean when he say, God is light? Well, the first and most important thing is that we understand is the word order. It's important that we understand that he says God is light and not light is God. That's actually important because many religions, mythologies, and in fact, indigenous religions do worship the sun as a god. Many have. In the days of Christ, the days of the apostles, many Egyptians, etc., Romans, they worship the sun as a god. So our text is really, really clear is that light is not God. God is light. That's an important turn, and those words are important in that order. So from a biblical and theological perspective then, considering what we learn from all of Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, when you put it all together, light means two things at least in respect to God and referring to who he is and what he is like. First, it means this. It means that God is the supreme mind and intellect in the cosmos. There's absolutely no one who knows as much as God about everything. Not even remotely close. Not even Google. I did a search for a couple things this week, right? And I couldn't believe it. I hadn't seen this in a long time. I did a search. I can't remember what it was, but it was something. And, and it, right below it said, uh, uh, 10 of the first 6 billion results. And I was like, wow, that's impressive. <laughs> Doesn't hold a Advent candle the knowledge of God. And yet in our human wisdom, we, we think we're really advanced, don't we? It's all there. We find out everything we want to know. No, the one thing about God, about light, means that he is the supreme intellect or mind in the universe. He is omniscient. A fantastic word, which means he knows all things. He's the only being who does. So that's important for us to start with. Secondly, it refers to his perfect holiness. Perfectly holy. It refers to his perfect purity, right? So beyond us, for the human mind, it's impossible for us to grasp, but only out of reverence when we think about it, to fear him appropriately. Because he's so holy. He's so pure and perfect. That, that's what light from the scripture means about his character, who he is. And then this is also clear. He is absolutely, in that verse that we saw, untouched. Or I read, so I should say, and we'll see it again shortly. He's untouched by darkness. We see that in John's own words where it says, in him is no darkness, not not, not a teeny weeny little bit, at all. None. But you and I both know something. There is darkness, right? There's darkness in the literal, material, natural sense in the world. But there's darkness in other places, isn't there? So the Bible is full of very interesting patterns and concepts that God has in his wisdom established from the beginning in the scripture all the way to the end. And we we actually discovered one in Missional Community Group this week, which was interesting. Uh, It came out of last Sunday's message where Levi was preaching and about from the Old Testament, go to Leviticus, you know. And there were sacrifices and things like that. He did a great job. It was a really good sermon. 
If you didn't hear it, you should go check it out. But it came up in a missional community group where one of the uh, gals in our group was like, yeah, oh man, he was talking about the blood, right? And it made me think, you know, like I had to do some thinking about it and do some reading about it because that's a really deep subject and also like, whoa. And, and even Levi mentioned it, you know, for some people it's, it's kind of like, what's with the Bible? What's with this focus on blood and sacrifices and shedding of blood? You know, what's with that? Well, it's a good, it's a good question. But listen, it's, it's one of the things that God has intentionally put in his word. And we read it already today and we'll see that in our conclusion today. But it's there. So like light, it's one of those pictures that we find from the first chapters of the Bible to the last. And of course, first, we need to understand this. Well, we know from Genesis 1 that you and I were born in the image of God. But we're not God. (laughs) And when he created us, he gave us these bodies. And guess what flows inside our veins? He, He designed us in such a way that we would live because blood is being pumped through our bodies. So our blood is literally our life. It's what gives us life. He designed it that way. And yet we also know what happened in the scripture, right? And you, you know that if, if your heart stops pumping or you start bleeding profusely and you run out of blood, what's going to happen? You're going to die. It's the end. So it's, it's incredibly important. We understand that. It's an important picture. So after, listen, after Adam and Eve believed the lie, you know, you too can be like God. You will not surely die. It's lovely little fruit. Go ahead and eat it. You'll be just like God. Well, as soon as they bit into that apple or whatever it was, whatever fruit it was, they fell into sin and they were doomed at that point to physical and spiritual death. Being our mother and father, they brought that upon us too. Why? Well, because we would have done the same thing. We really would have. So they fall into the sin. They, and here's the thing. What, if you remember the story, right? What happens right after they do the deed, right? All of a sudden they realize... They're not wearing clothes. I won't use that word because I want to make this PG, whatever. But they're, no, they're naked. Okay, fine. <laughs> She's at the back like, come on, just say it. Right. right. And so, but, but what's going on? What? They're ashamed. What happened? Why in the world would they be ashamed? Sin. What God had created in intimacy and in their bodies, they had all of a sudden destroyed. And so what do they do? Well, they, 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 uh, we, we always see the picture of the fig leaves, right? And what are they covering? Well, you know what they're covering, right? And, and so why are they doing that? Again, because they're ashamed, because they're afraid that God's going to come find them. So they're afraid and they're ashamed of God, but ashamed of themselves. Now, you remember what happens? God comes to them. Of course, Adam, Adam, where are you, right? And he's asking, where are, where are you? What does God do? Do you remember? Well, actually... God sheds the first blood in the Bible. He sheds the blood of an animal. He sacrifices an animal who obviously would have bled so that he can provide a covering, a skin, to cover Adam and Eve. And so this is where we get in the Old Testament, this and the scripture for that matter, this beautiful picture of a covering, of an atoning for sin and an issue of blood. That takes place, right? And so this goes on throughout the whole Old Testament. We see this, as, as, as Levi mentioned last week, the, the blood that was marking the, the lentils of the doorposts when God 
brought his judgment upon the people of Egypt, of Pharaoh and his people, but any of the Jewish people who had the blood over the lentils, he would pass over them, and they would be saved because of this covering. And then there was the whole sacrificial system where a lamb or an animal was killed and its blood shed, sprinkled on the altar, and its blood. But what is all that a picture of? Well, of course, it's a picture of the perfect Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who died to take away the sins of the world, who is the light of the world. And so light, interestingly, has a similar story, right? And where does that story begin? Of course, Genesis 1. It'll be on screen where we read, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the face of the waters. So in the, in, in the beginning, we have this incredible creation moment where God creates all things, the cosmos, ex nihilo in the Latin, meaning out of nothing. Nothing. And he creates everything. And then you see that over the earth and over the deep, over the deep is utter darkness. Even there in that first, those two verses, in the second verse, you see that God is moving. He's already moving in his creation. And the Holy Spirit is moving over the face of the waters. And then we read, thankfully, in verses 3 and 4, and God spoke. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light. From the darkness. And so the first words that we hear our God, who is light, speak is, let there be light. And what happened? There was light. It's incredible. Listen, you read all of Genesis 1, go home, homework for you. Just read through Genesis 1. Here's what you're going to see. At every stage where it says God said something would happen, would happen, guess what? It says right after that, and it was so, and it was so, and it was so. The heavens and the earth, the planets, the moon, the stars, vegetation, creepy crawler things, right? Animals of every kind, and then you and I, and it says, and it was so, and it was so. Every time God speaks and commands something, it always happens. That's a big lesson to be learned in those opening verses of Genesis. It's beautiful to see. And so the key that I also want us to see here this morning is this. In the Genesis record, God is always, look at this, bringing light, his light, out of darkness. That's always his pattern. And so that's why we see that he is the light. Each day of creation makes that incredibly clear. And we discussed this before uh, in other messages that we've been through and passages we've been through. And when we studied Genesis, But if you and I were writing this text, this story, making it up, which some people think Genesis is, I I tell you, if you were writing a fictional book, you and I would always, if we were talking about a day, wouldn't we say it was morning and evening? We would always put it that way. If I'm talking about a day, I'm going to start in the morning when it's dark, (laughs) right? This time of year. But that's the way we're going to write it. But the scripture doesn't do that. You notice that? It's always in the evening and the morning. We're the same day. So even in the writing of Genesis, God's making it clear, 
I am bringing light out of darkness. It's in his word and it's put in there. It's one of the things that C.S. Lewis said is absolute proof that this is not man-made. It's too consistent and too radically different than the way you and I would make up a story. It's a beautiful picture. So, so the, the creation account also, by the way, just a little aside for you, is all full of binaries. Binaries are an amazing thing, aren't they? Yeah, in our world and culture today. But it is, it's full of binaries. Whether it's heaven and earth, binaries. Whether it's light and dark, whether it's morning and evening, whether it's male and female, God has created things in a binary way. By the way, Google, you're nothing but a bunch of ones and zeros. Just thought I'd let you know that. After the fall of Adam, of course, and Eve, a great spiritual darkness fell on the earth. It fell over all of creation. And this is why Isaiah, when he prophesied about the coming of Jesus at the first Christmas, said in one of our very favorite verses that we always read during Advent, and it will come up in a reading in a week or two, he said this in Isaiah 9-2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. He's, he's talking about the present, but he's looking ahead. Have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness. It's not just a little gray out there. It's deep darkness. On them, a light has shone. Wow. Hope? Yeah. Imagine the people in the days of Isaiah. Go ahead and read the story of what was going on in those days. It's pretty dark. We look around our world and we think, it's pretty dark. Some people maybe think, oh, no, it's actually pretty awesome. <laughs> okay, it's good, but it was really dark back then. So people needed that hope. They needed to have that. So first, he calls it like it is. I love this about Isaiah, but the prophets purely, because, of course, they're prophets of who? God. So he just calls it what it is. Look, it's dark. And by the way, you're dark, and you're in darkness. Get over yourself. He just calls it the way it is. It's beautiful to see that. There's no, you know, fudging it. Our God, he's basically saying, is light, who is light, thankfully, has a plan to redeem us. Since Adam and Eve, he's always had this plan to bring his light and take us out of this darkness, to bring light into our darkness and provide us a path and a way. God is light. And so as John tells us here in this letter, that was, listen, the message I, always, I have to reread that a few times, but also in Ephesians where it talks about the, the message um, that, that God has given to us that wasn't clear before, but now it is. But this is a definite article that you see here, the message. So when you, what did Jesus come to teach? He taught them a lot of things. We read his parables. We read all of the words of Jesus. Jesus taught a lot of things. He, he was teaching about all kinds of things. John makes it clear that this was the primary message when you put them all together that Jesus came to deliver. That message is, God is light. And in him, there is no darkness whatsoever. That was the big takeaway for the apostle John. So let's have a look at that. The words that I, I read earlier, First John 1.5 says this, this is, again, the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light. In him is no darkness at all. 
So what Jesus showed his disciples and us as well when we read the scripture is that we can see parallels, listen, between light, what light is in the natural, in the material, in the physical world, and we can see parallels with what God is on the transcendent level, which is therefore on every level of human existence. So there's a picture here I want you to see today, I hope I can convey to you, that there's an amazing parallel between the light that we need in order to function and we need in our world, the natural physical level and the transcendent light of God. We need them both, but we need the second much more. We, we will physically and spiritually die or we are without it. It's just the way God has made it. So then the question is, well, what does that light actually look like? What does it do? What's the difference? Well, here's one. One thing that natural light does is it reveals things to us, doesn't it? You need natural light. If we didn't have natural light, if there was no light, no light outside, no light in this place, and we were all in here, we would be stumbling around, falling over chairs, bumping in each other, banging our foreheads. It would be chaos, wouldn't it? Actually, the word in Genesis 1 about uh, the, without form and void, you know, or the earth when it was in darkness, the, the Hebrew there is actually suggesting that that darkness was chaos. And that's exactly what we would be if, if we did not have natural light. Natural light also provides for you and I perspective, right? Because of light, we actually, and because of the way God created our eyes, we actually can see depth of field. We can see, we have perception and, and we can see 3D. But we can only see that with our eyes, if there's natural light. So we also then have this depth perception, and we also see color, we see movement, we see a car coming so we know to back away, right? We, we need light. Natural light reveals these things to us. Well, the same is absolutely true about God, about the light of God. The light that is God shines in the dark places, It shines in the dark places of your heart, of my heart, and of the world. It reveals the one thing that we all desperately need. It's not not just that it reveals our sin. It does, does it not? In the dark places of our hearts, of everyone's hearts. But it also reveals the one thing that we need more than anything else. Truth. It reveals truth. Hey, natural light does that too, right? Like you, you, you could say, yeah, you know what? I don't really believe there's a wall there. I'm just going to keep walking. Light. Truth is there's a wall there, right? Do you deny that? Is that just me thinking relatively? No. Light reveals that, but it's truth. So as we've already heard earlier, a biblical view of God's light means that he is the supreme intellect or mind in the universe. He is omniscient. I'm going to repeat it. He knows all things. He knows everything. And what he knows is the, listen, absolute truth on every subject about everything. He doesn't just have an opinion or his truth on the matter. He knows what is universally true in every way and about every. I don't know about you. 
I find that comforting. I really do. I just wish that I and all the rest of us would trust that <laughs> all the time. John goes on in verse 6 to say this. If we say we have fellowship with him, look at this, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So it's even here. John, John is essentially equating the two. He's saying God is light, and he's saying it also means this. God is truth. So now, of course, you and I know this. In our post-post-post-modern, I don't know what post we're in yet uh, at this point in, in history, but in our culturally progressive world, uh, we've moved beyond such novel ideas, haven't we? Right? We've moved beyond this, this simple understanding, this black and white thing, right? About truth, haven't we? Really, come on. We figured this out. Everyone knows that truth is relative, that your truth is not my truth. <laughs> I can tell you, you're wrong half the time because it's not my truth. Right? And your truth is not my truth and her truth and his truth and whatever. And the bottom line is that, that the greatest creed in our culture today is you go, girl, you live your truth. You've got to be authentic. You live your truth, buddy. Let me ask you an honest question. Do you actually see that working? Is that really working in our culture? Listen, is that working for you? Honestly, personally? It's not working for me. I don't think it's working in our world, but I'll let you decide that for yourself. You figure that out. And so we see two things here, really, in what... Um, this is saying to us, and I've just asked that question, do we believe that? Secondly, and more importantly, God's word tells us that from his perspective, look at this, from his perspective, when we believe the greatest lie that the enemy has encouraged all of us to believe and then try to actually live that out, the, the lie that your truth is your truth and not my truth, God's word declares at that point when you believe that lie, you are in darkness. Do you remember what God said to uh, Jonah near the end of the book of Jonah about the people in Nineveh? The thing that he, you know, this is one of the reasons why he cared about them so much. This is a sophisticated city, brutal city uh, of people. And God says, Jonah, listen, the bottom line is the reason why I I, want to save them is because they don't know their left hand from their right hand. They're in darkness. But I love them. I have a little bit of an oldie, but I think a goodie parable for you that might explain. I think it's a good picture of this whole thing about um, relativity versus truth, right? And it's, it's, a, it's an interesting uh, paral, uh, parable that is about revealed, that truth being revealed by light. And it's, uh, it's the one about the many blind men. Remember that story? Anyone heard the parable about the, the many blind men who they're, they're brought into a place where there's a, there's a big, big, huge elephant, right? And, and so they're blind, so they, they've got their, they can smell and they can touch, and that's all they've got, and they, they walk around this elephant, and they're trying to figure out what it is, right? So they, they, they've never met an elephant before, according to the parable, so they start going around. One guy, you know, he, he goes to the trunk, right? And he, he goes, oh, I know what it is. It's a snake, right? Like, it's like, that's what it is. It's just like a snake. It's a little thicker, but it's, and it's... Another guy goes to the back, and he's grabbing the tail, and he goes, no, 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 no. It's a rope right? It's a rope, right? Another guy is on the side of it, and he's touching it on the side with both hands. Hey, guys, I've got to tell you, this is a wall. <laughs> like, this is a wall. This is what this is. Other guy's, you know, grabbing one of the legs and hugging him. No, no, it's a tree trunk. It's like, it, it's, and I think there's four of them, right? 
So they've all got this perception, but again, take the blinders off, give them their sight back, bring light on the subject, and what have you got? An elephant. Yeah, it's a pretty simple story, but think about it. Think about how confusing things in our world are today where everybody's trying to to figure out the way, the truth, the life in human wisdom and where truth is relative. God is light. God is truth. We finish uh, in our verses today in verse 7 where it says, but if we walk in the light, this this is super encouraging. Think about this. But if we walk in the light, in the truth, if as he is in the light, in the truth, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So two wonderful things that God's light does that natural light on its own cannot do or material things. And the first that I note is and see in these words is if, if, if we know the light, if we walk in the light, if the light is in us, we become one. We're no longer divided and polarized. Gee, wouldn't that make sense if we all believed the same truth about the same things? God is light. God is truth. And so that's, that's God's goal, isn't it? When Jesus was asked, what, what, what's the greatest commandment? Like if there's one thing that we needed to do, you guys all know this, right? Well, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. Oh, and by the way, love your neighbor as yourself. Walk in the light. And so when you and I walk, and of course the language here means and speaks about our daily life, our walk is in those terms in those days meant your daily life as you go about your daily life. When we walk in the light, the light he is in, when we follow Jesus in that way, then we are united together in perfect unity, not only with each other, but with our Heavenly Father, look, what is he doing? What is he doing? He's bringing, wanting to, everything back to the garden where they walked in unity with God every day. And they walked in truth every day because sin was defeated. So I think you'll notice in this last verse here today, we see blood again, don't we? We see blood again in our concluding verse. And so secondly then, when we walk in his light, when we walk in the truth, his truth, the blood that Jesus shed on the cross for us cleanses us from yesterday's sin, today's sin, tomorrow's sin, all sin. All of it. That's what it does. And so it's the light that sanctifies us. It's the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit of God in our lives today, this light that can, that can be found in only two places. Well, maybe three. One is in the Word of God, right? The, the other is from the Holy Spirit. And where does he live? In us. As long as we don't quench him. As long as we invite him to fill us with light to fill us with his truth. And of course, you know that the process of sanctification has finally a goal, right? And the goal is that one day 
you and I, when either we pass from this life or Jesus comes again, we will be saved and sanctified from the very power and the very presence of darkness. You do know how the Bible ends, right? With the new heaven and the new earth. Guess what? There's no night. There's no darkness. I don't think we're going to get tired. It's going to be pretty awesome. And so in conclusion this morning, may I encourage you to see one of our key verses that I read earlier for this Advent series as the greatest encouragement that Jesus can give you and I at Christmas as well as the everyday of our lives going forward. And it is this. I am the way. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Listen, this is not a, a, a maybe. This is a promise. Friday, I spoke at the uh, celebration of life of my mentor of 30 years, Dr. Douglas Yackel. And one of the comments I made was, I don't know if I've met a man in my life, a person in my life, who followed harder after Jesus than Doug. Great example to me. I've got some work to do. But that's what Jesus is encouraging you to do here today. Listen, if you will follow hard after me, I am the light of the world. Walk with me. The light will, you ever seen the, the Charlie Brown thing with Linus and he's cloud following everywhere he goes? No, this, the light will follow you everywhere you go if you trust Jesus when he says this. Pray with me, would you?